Hello, I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and best-selling author, and I want to welcome you to the David Irvin podcast. The premise is simple. The podcast will provide you with insights for living and leading the authentic way so that you'll be better equipped to amplify your positive impact as a difference maker in any area of your life. We'll cover a variety of topics related to authenticity. We'll hear stories of how authentic leaders came to be who they are, and we will create a platform for you to submit questions you'd like us to address on all the different topics we talk about here and in my books. What is uniquely special is that I'm going to be doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley. I am super excited about this opportunity to work together with her on this project that we are both so passionate about. So we hope you'll stay real as we go through this. Haley, it is a privilege. It is a privilege and just an honor to work together with you so and uh, to, to just to talk about authenticity and what authenticity means yeah. for you and what it means for me. I'm really excited to be here. Like, obviously, you know, having grown up with with all your books and listening in the back of the room, selling books while you were, you know, giving your speeches and stuff. It's just really exciting to now be, uh, you know, be on the inside of all of this. It's really fun. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so I have to ask you, what yeah. interests you? about authenticity? I think honestly, it's, it was so studying in university, I did a lot of, you know, sociology and psychology classes and the idea of identity really resonated with me. Um, and then going on to teach teenagers where identity as a, as the sort of crux of the teenage experience, um, I'm a high, I'm a high school teacher. Um, and I just find that seems to be sort of the biggest crises, if you will, um, of that, of that time. And I went through enough iterations of it in my time too, but I think just, you know, figuring out like identity as, as the, the big thing about realism and, and authenticity is, is figuring out who you are and who you want to be. And, um, you know, being the best version of yourself, that's the truest version of yourself. Um, so for me, it's, it's the exploration of identity. I think that really, uh, that really gets me going, but identity as authenticity, you know, as an authentic, you know, your authentic self. So here's, here's what I talk about in my leadership development programs. The premise is this, that we're born authentic. We're born unique. We're not born as a blank slate. If, you know, anybody, you would know this from teaching and mm -hmm. certainly as a parent, any parent on this call or anybody that's around kids understands that right from the get-go, right from day one, we have our own unique essence. Yeah. This destiny, what I call the essence of who we are, the destiny of the, what we're what we're meant to fulfill in life. We're yeah. born as what I would call a seed of possibility, just like embedded in an acorn tree is the destiny to one, an acorn seed is, is destined to one day be an oak tree. We are all having our, we have our own each unique destiny. Mm -hmm. So then we grow up in this world that doesn't really know how to support who we are. And it's a whole lot easier if we get our kids to conform and to be obedient and to uh, fit in. And mm -hmm. so what we do in order to fit in and to be safe, we compromise the essence of who we are. Mm -hmm. And then we move into, you know, we, we compromise the essence of who we are for our parents, for the school systems that we work in, mm -hmm. for the universities or the colleges or the post-secondary education that we go to. And then we get into this world. And we compromise ourselves in order to fit into the cultures where we work. And we stop realizing the essence of who we are. So I'd be curious. And then, and then, what, mm -hmm. then what, we, what my work is, is to go back and connect with that authentic self 
And when you do connect with it, that is where you have the most impact in the world mm -hmm. and on the planet. So I'm just curious how that kind of little model fits for you and your work with kids and your work in schools. Yeah, I, I'm really privileged to be able to work um, in a Montessori school um, as opposed to in the public board, which was a, a purposeful choice I made coming out of university. Um, just because I feel like that philosophy, even if you know most people don't know much about uh, Montessori philosophy, but it's very child-centered um, and student-centered, and so it, it allows students to have a choice and a voice uh, in what they in that they learn, how they learn. Um, and so, even though I'm teaching at the high school level, what that means is um, it's allowing students to choose the novels that they want to read. It's allowing students to choose. Um, you know, the type of courses that they want to take and demonstrating their knowledge in those courses and in the way that works best for them. Um, so I feel very privileged to be able to work in this environment because the impact of it on these kids, a lot of, we get a lot of students who come to us from the public board who haven't been able to succeed for whatever reason. Um, often it's social issues though, and bullying tends to be sort of the, the, the key thing. Um, and then they come and they get this opportunity to, to explore and be their authentic self. And just the, the impact that that has on, on their self-esteem, on their confidence, and actually you see it in their academics as well, um, that all of a sudden now they're succeeding and believing in themselves more and, and they're happier at home and they're happier at school. And funny enough, they can, they end up being quite empathetic as well. I think when they're not as focused on what others think of them and they're just confident and proud of who they are they're able to be a better friend, be a better call, uh, you know, colleague if, at, at their part-time jobs. They're able to work better and collaborate better um, because so much of their energy isn't devoted to making themselves smaller and take up less space. And it's instead in just about being who they are. And, and, you know, um, and it's, it's really quite remarkable um, to be able to, to observe, observe this in students. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I just find it, it's just a, it's an absolute privilege to be able to do that at, at work. Um, it's just now challenges is finding how to be able to give those skills to, to all students and all adults too, because it's uh, it's quite a transformative experience to, to go through in terms of confidence and all that. So my parallel to that is when I work in organizations and we create cultures of authenticity, we get mm -hmm. people engaged. Mm -hmm. We give people a reason to be accountable. I mean, there's so much, said about accountability, but if people aren't their authentic self, then accountability is just drudgery, getting yeah. the job done yeah. and checking off the box. And so we get engaged people. We get, uh, you know, when people are relaxed with, with who they, and, and create a psychologically safe place to work in, mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. just are bring their best self to what they do. And they really, truly make an impact. And I, maybe you could say some more about how that impacts the culture of your school when you support students to be who they are? Yeah, they're way more confident in general. When you're confident in who you are, you're more likely to take risks and you're more likely to trust others. Um, and then when you have an area where people are more likely to take risks, and I say risks in a, in a safe way, right? It's challenging yourself. It's thinking outside the box. It's trying new ideas. It's trying new activities. So when you feel comfortable taking risks because you're confident, um, and, and you know who you are and you trust the people around you not to judge you and you recognize that, you know, you're here to be you, um, it can just have a much more empathetic, open-minded atmosphere because everyone's there and 
to help each other succeed. And, um, and it's, it's, there's no judgment, there's no hostility, there's no competition. People are just there, um, accepting their own journey and, and pushing other people to just be the best version of themselves, whatever that is. Um, and it just ends up being a, a happier culture, a happier workplace. Um, and the kids are quite productive as well too, because they're, they're willing to challenge themselves. They're willing to challenge each other in a, in a positive way. They see competition as a way to better themselves, not as a way to put others down. Um, and it just ends up being a, a, a better place to grow. And, and, and I, I really hope to, to see that more too. in in the workplace, I'm sure you, you see that too, dad, right. When, um, you know, people are, you know, it's just less judgment, I guess, you know, and just people aren't afraid to be themselves because they, they trust that those around them aren't going to judge them for it. Uh, absolutely. hundred percent. So what, what we find in, in my own leadership development programs is people have a lot of layers mm-hmm. of protection that they mm-hmm. have around them that, you know, they don't mean to be inauthentic. They've learned those layers in order to survive, in order to um, cope with, you know, whatever environment that they live in. And I'm curious as to, as to what your thoughts, I'm imagining that, that teenagers aren't quite as layered as, as what happens when we get into older years, you know, Mm -hmm. as we, as we age, but Mm -hmm. I'm curious as to how, what your experience with those layers of self-protection and how difficult it is to connect with their, with students' authentic self. And if you have any kind of explicit process for how you do that, I think a big one I had, I was you know, through university and through teachers college and things like that. Um, you, you understand trauma as just any time a child has to go through big emotions, um, with or without support, but, but generally trauma is just defined as that, right. It, it's, it's coping with big emotions. And so for some, so for some people, um, certain events are more traumatic than others just because of the, the nature of it. Right. And I think that's where, you know, our, our brain responds to trauma. If you think psychologically, our brain responds to trauma by, by, you know, making, making pathways as, as a coping strategy. Right. So, um, and people have dealt with trauma in different ways. Some people, um, you know, have, have, uh, barriers, boundaries, walls that they put up, um, others sabotage in different ways. It just sort of depends on, on the individual. Um, but I would argue honestly that, you know, some of these teenagers have gone through, just as much trauma as adults, just sort of, and I, and I don't mean trauma is always, you know, some sort of big traumatic life event, but trauma, just in terms of any time a child has to deal with big emotions. So that could be a parent divorce. That could be a car accident. That could be a loss of somebody in their life. It could be the loss of a pet. Um, it could be a, a case of bullying. It could be, um, you know, um, some, some harsh words that have said, been said to them by a coach or a parent or a teacher at some point in their life. Um, and so, but I think the difference is, is that teenagers or, or kids at the least, um, they, they maybe have fewer layers as adults, just in terms of years of experience and, you know, fewer traumas that they've had to deal with. Um, but I think by the time you're as an adult, like, I think it's just sort of, you know, those, those layers have just become normalized, I guess, in, in, in the way that you, you know, work, um, and you're, you know, teenagers tend to be a little bit more open-minded to trying new things, um, I think in, in some ways, but that being said too, um, you know, they're, they, they don't always have the foresight to see that, you know, resiliency can be built through trying new things. Whereas I think adults might be more likely to push themselves in that way. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, 
Yeah. I think kids you, and adults you, can both deal with layers. You shift my thinking about this because what you're saying is that age isn't necessarily no. um, a factor. It could be, but it's not necessarily mm -hmm. a factor of how we protect ourselves. Like no. the older you get, the, the wider the wall is of, could be. of being disconnected with our authentic self. Yeah. But I can think of some 80-year-olds who are more alive and more authentic yes. and connected to themselves than six-year-olds. Right. So age isn't necessarily uh, the, the only factor here. And I've seen some, you know, seven-year-olds who've gone through some real life experience, a lot of life experience in their seven little years of life than some, you know, 40-year-olds. Um, and so, you know, like, and, and, and they have different outlooks on it too. So, yeah. So it's an individualized process too. And, and, you know, the different layers come from different places. So here's, I'm going to just put on my parenting hat here mm -hmm. and think of your kids, you know, mm -hmm. your students in your school. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, if I help them be authentic, how do I also help them show up and get their schoolwork done? Because I think <laughs> there's this notion that being authentic says free reigns, just do as you wish, you know, yes. have your, have your spirit and let's not squelch it with expectations. So I am very curious how, what your take on that is as a teacher. Can you have expectations, guidelines, even rules in your school boundaries and still support your students authentic self? Absolutely. This is a, uh... This is a this is a, a big philosophical question with uh, curriculum design and with pedagogy and all of that is is how do you balance that? How do you because this the curriculum still has to get taught and uh, you still have to go to school from eight to four uh, and you still got to graduate high school the best you can and you still got to go and prepare yourself for the workforce. You still got to show up. Um, so this is a this is a, a really fascinating dichotomy that I, I struggle with all the time. Um, and I think it's really just, it's freedom within limits, um, is the best way I like to think of it. So, you know, here's this box and, and it, you can color whatever you want in the box. You can use whatever colors you want. You can use glitter. You can use, you know, you can, you can glue a feather onto it. It can be as tall as a box as you want, but you still have to stay in the box. Um, and you know, as, as, and, and I, I know a lot of people say color outside the lines, things like that. Sure. Great. Yes. There's an opportunity for that. Um, but it's not always the best way to, to prepare yourself for the world outside. I would love to say that society is a world where we can color outside the box all the time, but that's not, unfortunately, the world we live in. Um, so I think that's where it comes down to, I think that's where, you know, authenticity and grit go hand in hand is that it's, it's, I would argue there, there's sort of these two polar opposites that must exist together. Um, cause you can be authentic, you can be your true self, but at the same time, you still have to work hard and, and push through the hard bits, um, because you can't have one without the other. Um, so, and, you know, an example of that is that, you know, for example, in, in teaching, I guess an example I would have is the essay still has to get written. They have to write an essay. Um, they have to finish the essay by the end of the term, but knowing that each kid might take you know, some kids might take longer to write the essay. Some kids might take less time. This kid wants to write about, you know, communism in the 1960s, but this kid wants to write about, you know, this, this, you know, post-colonial work 
right? And so allowing kids both can write their own topic, whatever they want. They might have different deadlines that work best for them, but they still have to be accountable to, you know, they still have to hand it in by the deadline. Um, some might ask for an extension, whatever. Um, some might get it done quicker, but they both have to get it done. Um, and so doing whatever it takes to get it done, they can write whatever topic they want. That's the freedom within limits. Um, and I think that's also, you know, authenticity and, and grit going hand in hand, the same with, um, you know, rights and responsibilities, right? You have a right to do whatever you want, but you also have a responsibility to be a kind, caring person. Um, so again, rights and responsibilities are two things that go hand in hand. Um, and so you cannot have one without the other, they must coexist. So I think that's the best, the best thing I can, I can describe for that. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. In my language, <laughs> In organizations, it's about integrating accountability with authenticity. Uh, and I mentioned earlier that when you have authenticity, uh, when you have accountability rather without authenticity, it's drudgery. Yes. But if you have authenticity without accountability, it's fantasy. I mean, let's suppose that you're authentic. And self-centeredness self too, I would argue. It's self-centeredness too. Absolutely. You get yes. self-centered. Yeah. You know, even if you're even if your authentic self is to be a musician and you you just really want to make a living at make at being a musician, well, you still got to show up to the conference to the concert on time. You still yes. got to, you know, uh, show up in the world. You can't authenticity this notion of authenticity being the freedom to just do whatever you wish without any responsibility behind it is a misnomer. So this is where I really integrate these. And this is what we're going to be talking a lot about in this mm -hmm. podcast is how do we integrate these together? Yeah, definitely. And how important it is to have both. And there are going to be times in your life when it might be feel a little bit more like accountability as opposed to authenticity and vice versa, but recognizing that, you know, it, it'll all balance itself out. So yeah. yeah, and I think we get, we can't necessarily assume that we're going to just be authentic for the rest of our life. I think it's a, it's a, we, we get accountable and then we mm -hmm. lose touch with our authenticity and then we maybe get authentic and we lose touch with being accountable. And so mm -hmm. I think it's an, it's an interwoven journey that we take around being authentic and being accountable. And when Shakespeare said, you know, to thine own self be true, I think what's really important is to understand which self are we talking about here. And so these are the things that we're going to be really exploring in much more depth here as we go along. Uh, what, you know, what, what does the self mean? Is it your accountable self? Is it your adolescent self that just wants to have freedom without any restraints and that is impulsive and, and pleasure seeking? Or is it truly your authentic self? And I don't think we get a lot of real good training and guidelines at how to connect with our authenticity because we're expected to fit in so much. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, and it's funny with even that Shakespeare soliloquy too, right? Because that first line is so brilliant, but then it keeps going on. Right. So I, I just pulled it up to this above all to thine own self be true. And it must follow as the night, the day thou canst not then be false to any man. Uh, and you can interpret that, um, you know, about being false to any man, not just yourself, but false to others too. Right. And it's being false to, you know, you, you got to, it's, it's that there's that accountability piece right there in that line. Right. So. Absolutely. Well, I'm inspired to have to start this conversation with you <laughs> and to create conversations and to create dialogue. We're going to be hearing each other's story. Uh, because a big part of authenticity is to understand your life story, 
We're going to be interviewing people and interviewing what we call authentic leaders. You may even find that there's students that want to be on our call. Oh, that for you sure. Have, you know, I'd love to hear their story about sure. what authenticity has meant and how they, what their journey has been to discover their authenticity for and sure. how that's impacted their life. And Definitely. we just, we want to make a better world. And it's our part. Uh, you know, I, 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 there's a lot of darkness on our mm -hmm. planet these days. Mm -hmm. And I think this is our way to just bring a light. You know, there's an old Hasidic Jewish story about a rabbi and the, and the students come to the rabbi and say, how do we deal with all the darkness? And what the rabbi did was he took him down into the cellar and he yeah. took and he said, you know what, let's let's yell and scream and see if we can get rid of the darkness. And then he gave them a broom and he said, let's sweep the darkness out and then let's protest the darkness out. And of course, uh, the only way to deal with darkness is to is to light is to bring mm -hmm. a light and to light a candle. And so this is our way, this is certainly my way of contributing to the darkness in our world right now, is to mm -hmm. see what we can do to, to let our light shine and to bring our insights into this whole work and into the world. I love it. And, at the mean, and in the meanwhile, we can also have a good time doing it. We always have good chats too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to remind me, uh, as you did frequently in your upbringing, Dad, don't take it all so seriously. Yeah, you know you got to have some lightness in it all. Let's have some fun, and I can't hope just that talk you about having me. We can't just talk lighter. about having lightness without actually like joking around and having fun. We got to walk the walk too, Dad. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, until next time, uh, we just look forward. Any closing thoughts you have? Any words of wisdom you have to wrap this up? I think uh, my favorite thing, this is just a practice that I try to do in my daily practice with my students and then independently as well. Um, my favorite sort of way to start and end a day is just by um, saying something that I'm grateful for, um, just because I find that's my favorite way to, 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 without being, you know, a falsely positive, it's just a way to just sort of recognize the world around me. So uh, dad, what are you grateful for today? Well, I'll tell you what I'm grateful for this moment is to have this experience with you and that you're receptive <laughs> enough and that you're willing to, to, uh, to do this with your father. It just means so much to me. So I'm extremely grateful to have this experience with you. <laughs> I'm grateful for what that What are you grateful too? for? I'm grateful for that too. And I'm also grateful for, uh, for uh, my, my dog, which is like, he's, he's been a lot of fun lately. So yeah, <laughs> I'm also grateful for him. He's pretty good. Well, I'm sure he'll come in and contribute to the conversation uh, every so often. Guarantee we'll hear him. Guaranteed. <laughs> Listen, until next time, folks, thanks for tuning in and stay real. <laughs>